Hey, y'all. This is Elizabeth K. Wine, host of Straight From The Source. You are listening to WYXR 91.7 FM, Memphis, Tennessee.
We're sorry that we've had a little bit of technical difficulties this morning, but we are back and um, here ready to restart our show for Thursday, January the 7th. So as I said earlier, but we had a few technical difficulties, yesterday was January the 6th, the Feast of the Epiphany. And so that is what we're going to celebrate this week instead of a saint of the day. So epiphany comes from a Greek word, which means manifestation or appearing. And as early as the second century in Egypt, there was a celebration that had to do with the three wise men going to visit the baby Jesus shortly after his birth. And um, actually, it's a whole season, which begins on the day of Epiphany and goes through Ash Wednesday, which is officially the start of the Lenten season. Um, the three kings going to visit the infant Jesus shortly after his birth 
is a really important concept for us to remember as Christians because it reminds us of the fact that Jesus is the king of everyone and he came for Gentiles as well as Jews for everyone in the entire world. Uh, The Messiah was not just here to save Jewish individuals but indeed the entire world. So many of you may know, or perhaps not, that I lived in New Orleans, Louisiana for 13 years. So during a normal situation in New Orleans, everybody would be in preparing for Mardi Gras. And Epiphany is the official beginning of the carnival season. Uh, We know this year because of COVID-19 that is not going to be able to take place. But Epiphany for me, is the season of king cakes. And if you've never had a king cake, it's a wonderful round pastry filled with cinnamon or other sorts of filling, glazed white and coated in sugar in the colors of the cardinal uh, carnival season. And typically there's a little tiny plastic baby doll that is hidden in the king cake. And whoever gets the slice of the king cake that has the baby in it, they bring the king cake the following week. So while we will not be able to have uh, the big gatherings this year, we are really hopeful that everyone is going to stay safe and healthy and we'll find other ways to celebrate the epiphany. So this is the prayer that we typically use on January the 6th um, to celebrate the Epiphany. And after I read this prayer, we will then go and play one of the songs that is used during the Epiphany season. So let us pray. O God, by the leading of a star, you manifested your only son to the peoples of the earth. Lead us who know you now by faith to your presence, where we may see your glory face to face, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So we are back 
and I am thrilled to have as my special guest this morning the Reverend Dr. Kevin Brooks, who is the new executive director of the Lynching Sites Project. However, Reverend Brooks is not new to Memphis. Um, he is from Memphis and graduated from Lemoyne Owen College before he headed east to pursue several advanced degrees and a career as an educator and pastor. He returned to Memphis, I believe, in 2019 to serve as the director of alumni affairs for his alma mater, and he came to the Lynching Sites Project from Lemoyne Owen. So, Reverend Brooks, thank you so much, and welcome to Faith. Memphis. Thank you for having me. This is the day the Lord has made. I rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. So um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what it was like as a child growing up and what role faith played in your life. Well, I grew up in North Memphis, um, an area called, that is notably called Frazier. Uh, and it was a wonderful, beautiful community. Uh, my mom, uh, as a young teenage mother, was able to really be a model of the American dream. Um, despite the challenges of being a single uh, young mother uh, who started off in um, Northside Manor in Persian Park, which is a community in the North Memphis area, she worked and really purchased a home in the International Harvester area of Fraser. Mm -hmm. And so we moved to that area. It was, we were the only, uh, it was only a few black families in that community, but she was a hardworking woman and uh, she taught me the responsibility of leadership uh, mm -hmm. since as a young man at Corning Elementary at the school that I attended and I had a lot of powerful aunts uh, around me to make sure that I was always on the straight and narrow. Uh, nevertheless, being a young black male in that particular area, we had our community challenges that we had to suffer and deal with. And I had my uh, share of those things uh, in the community, a uh, time where we were inundated with the drug culture of the 80s and all of the challenges of being a young black male and teenager at that particular time, uh, crime and uh, decadence and devastation. But the communities were great. They were stable. Uh, it was a beautiful uh, kind of integrated a community. I attended Westside High School, which was a uh, school that primarily serviced that area, working class families, working, you know, working class uh, white and black families as we came in. Uh, white families were really starting to move out of the area, but it was a wonderful place to grow up. And it's, as I think about it, it saddens me because it's a, a totally different community now. Mm -hmm. It is um, vacant homes, um, uh, no economic um, development, distress, disinherited, disenfranchised, and it saddens me after returning back home to Memphis and got calling me back and to really look at what's happening in our communities. And I said, I want to go back and help my alma uh, mater because for me, the healthiness of the black community was based off my using the Mormon College as a barometer of health. And it's because Lamorneon College has always been an anchor institution for the city of Memphis in its focus on educating the uh, descendants of uh, enslaved people in this country. And Lamorneon College did a yeoman's an outstanding job of servicing and educating uh, the people. And uh, I wanted to see them because they have a correlation with the fact that in 25 years, poverty has uh, increased, crime mm -hmm. has increased. Uh, no jobs, more distress, and it was not, it's not the community that I grew up in. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your testimony. It sounds like your mother and your aunts and the other adults in that community really were a buffer and, and God's protection over you as you navigated that difficult terrain. And all of us have had difficult terrain to navigate, but some more so than others. Um, so your work now is as the executive director of the Lynching Sites Project. And there may be some of our listeners who aren't even familiar with the fact that Memphis has um, a Lynching Sites Project. So I wonder if you might give us a little information about this organization and the purpose and the mission. Well, the Lynching Sites Project is an initiative that was founded by a group of amazing uh, individual Memphians um, some five to six years ago, uh, inspired by the work of Brian Stevenson at the Equal Justice Initiative. And what these individuals came together to do was to focus on raising awareness and shining the light of racial terror and injustice 
uh, committed against um, black people, black bodies at that particular time. And so they made it their mission to make sure that the world and Shelby Countyans and uh, Memphians know that there were men and women who were lynched in Shelby County and that we need to, uh, there's a, a, a price that uh, needs to be paid mm -hmm. uh, as we learn about these individuals. And so they made it their, their mission to raise markers uh, that not that that are not just informative, but also allows the community to to really start to ponder what's next. That we can make sure that these acts of violence, this act of racial terror, indeed never happens again. So mm -hmm. these lynching markers is part of the campaign. And for the past five years, we've done great mm -hmm. research uh, with number of great uh, members within the community from. Uh, Lamont College, Rhodes College, University of Memphis, uh, various organizations, various churches, individuals are coming together, say, okay, what can we do to rectify these issues of the past, to make sure we have a bright and prosperous future, to deal with the issue of race and racial terror that is still a hard pill to swallow for many Americans. It is. You know, I had the opportunity to go to the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, which is connected with the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, um, last summer. Um, and the part that I was able to visit is a six-acre outdoor site uh, which uses sculpture and art to really demonstrate the horrors of lynching. And it was such a powerful experience for me to see these huge stone tablets with name after name after name and to realize that each name represented someone's father or mother uncle brother sister and you know lynching as i understand it is um a situation where a group of individuals will decide that they're not going to actually use the regular due process of law or any sort of established governmental system to mete out justice, but they are going to take things into their own hands. And um, it occurs to me that based upon some of what we saw yesterday, um, perhaps that is the source of some problems we're still having today when people are not willing to allow the processes and procedures of our constitution to be carried out in an orderly fashion. You're absolutely right. Um, when I decided to adhere to God's call to return back to Memphis, uh, I came back knowing that I was going to be doing this work, having um, being a pastor and a high school principal in, in Baltimore and then even Chicago. I said, God, I want to come back. I need to go back and do the work because so much of this work is still embedded in unresolved issues that the South has had as relates to not owning or acknowledging the fact that they must comply with federal law. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is the, uh, the so-called red states um, who fought to maintain uh, this peculiar institution of, mm -hmm. of slavery and uh, this original sin that was not just uh, in, uh, uh, a matter of the South, but of course the North, and we see it. And what we see now and what we do know is lynching is not just about a blatant um, individual act, it's institutional. Mm -hmm. And it continues to allow the cancer, the demon of racism and white supremacy to be so pervasive. And what we experienced on yesterday is the as Malcolm said, chickens coming home to roost when we turn our head, as the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said, uh, threat to justice is any threat to justice anywhere. Uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. everywhere. And yeah. so, so many of us, even in our church and even the history of our church, uh, has not only endorsed slavery, endorsed uh, tyranny, or endorsed oppression, but turn continue to turn their head and not. Uh, facilitate in local congregations the responsibility of, uh, of being the epiphany, manifesting the presence of love in, uh, in this country and becoming a beloved community. And so, so much of the Lynching Sites Project is say, okay, we must manifest these names. We must, uh, as the gospel says, how to reach the masses, those of every birth, for an answer, Jesus gave the key. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. So 
lift them up. And so we're lifting up the names of these men and women who were lynched. We, and we, we're lifting up the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and 1965. We're lifting up the Memphis Massacre, which were institutional, racist, horrific terrorism of Americans uh, who did not want Tom jo Thomas Moss and those at the People's Grocery Store to uh, uh, be participate in democracy, participate in capitalism, did not want Greenwood in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rosewood to, 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 to rise up, did not want uh, elected officials uh, to black men, women to be, black men in particular at that time, to be representatives in Congress uh, in Georgia and in Mississippi and Louisiana with, with, with Herman B. Revels of Mississippi and so many men and women who bought into this American idea dream, the descendants of, of enslaved people who looked upon as shadow but they were terrorized and in monuments and things were put up to foster this tyranny and this fear uh, in our churches and in our local squares and they continue today, which endorses the blatant terrorist attack that we saw on uh, the people's heel uh, on yesterday. They had the unmitigated gall and the audacity of white power and privilege and many of it is oftentimes endorsed by our churches uh, uh, across the country. These are folks who came out of our Sunday school who were taught to be racially intolerant, to be racially, to see, to see themselves racially superior. And so this stage of my, of my work, uh, as retired, I said I need to, as a, as a scholar and as a researcher, come back to Memphis and focus on policy and advocacy and philanthropy that allows us to repair the breach and work with churches mm -hmm. uh, to organize around uh, these very, very important issues that allowed that has allowed us to be in a place where we have to deal with this cancer. It's up in front of our face. Right. And we have to deal with it. And the suffering and the shame and the guilt, we can leave it on the cross. Yes. But we have to start talking about it. It's not a Democratic or Republican issue. This is a matter of how do we love our neighbors as ourselves. And we can't love our neighbors if we don't see them as equal. We see black faces and uh, black, we see black faces, but not only we see policies that does not allow quality education systems. Uh, I've been fighting for quality education for years. I say, okay, mm -hmm. this, is, this is institution. I got to fight this in, in state government, in, in, in U.S. government. But we have these same uh, individuals who are policymakers who do not see black folks as equal. So it's not just about a, a racist Klansman mm -hmm. putting up a, a, a noose. It's about, nor is it about a statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest. We can take those things down, but those statutes are still in the books, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is what Lynching Sites Project, and this is why we are in a real difficult time. As Dr. Martin King said, these are the real difficult days. Mm -hmm. And the question is, Bishop, what are we going to do in our churches? What are we going to do in our communities that will allow us to start to repair the breach? Because, again, coming back to Memphis, it is institutional racism and lynching that has retarded Fraser in North Memphis and South Memphis. Mm -hmm. And the only place I see in this area, in, in Memphis, that is, that is prospering is along Poplar uh, mm -hmm. and in Germantown. That's a low-down, dirty shame. And it shows me that even though you may have black elected officials for years if you have kept people from participating directly into the economy if you, your schools have not worked and all these churches that we go to both black and white mm -hmm. and we turned our face uh away from the injustice and the terrorism we almost enable endorse the type of tyranny that we see uh, that we saw on yesterday mm -hmm. when there's mass incarceration in our prisons you go to shelby county correctional center any given day you see all these young black boys and i was one as a teenager mm -hmm. that got caught up into that system by the grace of god and god's hand on me and praying mothers and mm -hmm. uh, folk i was able to like many black men and women are able to uh, uh persevere but that system was set up for them to fail mm -hmm. and so there's no correlation with the challenge is with my uh, white brothers and sisters oftentimes challenge them to uh, organize uh, what I call Bubba and Karen, their own cousins who they know are racist in um, their families at Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, that they can be the presence uh, in their families. But more importantly, n not be in denial. Don't look at black folks as uh, somebody who just needs to assimilate to your what you think is a dominant culture. 
uh, black folks in America has created a unique and a brilliant and beautiful culture out of that suffering and that pain that, that has been even culturally appropriated in the city of Memphis. So there's no economic gain based off that pain and that suffering. And this is what we're starting to see. And we see this with poor whites and, and, and their inability uh, to really buy into the American dream mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a group of people who have been ostracized. So uh, our work with Lynching Sites Project is to start these conversations, to say, okay, let's learn who Albert Williams is. Let us uh, learn who L. Persons is. Let's learn the story of the people's grocery. Let's look at the correlation between lynching and police brutality and, what, and, and, and recognizing why we have to say black lives matter. Of course, all lives matter, but the history of this country has shown us that black lives just don't matter when you look at the data points. And so it's not just about an emotional conversation. We must start to have these conversations in our seminaries, must start to have these conversations on platforms that you're providing here to say, hey, we have to live together. We have to learn to love. Which, as God says, how can you say you love me? You can't see me, but you, and you can't love your black brother, your brown brother your uh, sister like you, that, like you love yourself. And so that's what the Lynching Sites Project will be about, mm-hmm. is repairing that breach. Got is it. to, uh, as an organizer in the community, to educate and agitate in the spirit of the saint and the prophet, Reverend Dr. Martin mm-hmm. Luther King Jr., to say, you know, you know we're going to have to deal with these difficult days. They lynched him. They, they destroyed that movement. And what now? What we're experiencing now is a, a president who stands as a symbol of the fact that America did not atone for its original sin. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, it 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 stands as a kind of Nebuchadnezzar uh, or, or, or even a Pharaoh who's so blatantly uh, disrespectful and disregarding the people that God might send a plague uh, uh, to the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, that allows us to sit in our uh, confined areas and repent and be in prayer and, and really start to say, our nation needs to, to change. Mm-hmm. It needs to change. And so, you know, we, we, we have some difficult days, but I think that we as clergy um, have an opportunity to do it, but so much of institutional racism is anchored in our church Mm-hmm. and that we don't, do not want to deal with. And as Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King has said quite elegantly and simply, Sunday morning is the most segregated time right. you know, of the day. Of the day. Of, of the, the week. week. Of the week. Of the, week, of the yeah, weekend of the, week. the day. And so, you know, for me, building out interracial, interracial coalitions uh, with churches is important to say, okay, Second Presbyterian or even the Episcopal Church, respectfully, mm-hmm. Uh, why didn't you all um, speak up mm-hmm. during the 68 riots? Why have you uh, not cared about um, uh, Purvis pain and the injustice or the lack of using DNA to foster due process, to just turn your head away from that but, but be upset at this the, the the sense of lawlessness that exists in Memphis with this high level of crime. And as I came back to Memphis and I was looking for, and I was preparing to purchase a home and a condo, you know, to see, hear the realtors, uh, white realtors, interestingly enough, say to me, you know, Memphis get a bad rap, wink, wink. I know what you're saying. And I'm a black man, so you don't even see me as a black man. You see me as other, someone uh, with some economic uh, stability, and I'm like, you don't know. I grew up in North Memphis. I right. grew up in Hurt Village. I'm the I'm the ones you are inferring. But the flat, sad thing about it too is to go into a, a, another place and be greeted by an older black woman who may be in her 70s, who's a receptionist, and because I'm a black man, a question: Can you afford to live down here? Mm-hmm. And so you ha- you have to deal with the white superiority that people are unaware of, and I have to deal with the black inferiority that. That, that, that folk are unaware with and then have to deal with white men who, because they grew up patriarchal, still think that black men are supposed to respond to respond a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so it is taking a bit getting used to being back home yeah. uh, as a man, mm-hmm. as a grown man. You know what you make me, I mean, so much of what you've said I could jump off on. Um, 
but I, two things come to mind. Um, the first is a scripture that talks about the fact that we're not fighting against individuals, Ooh. but we're fighting against powers and principalities. And the other is the fact that, at least in my experience of reading scripture and praying and meditating on scripture, every single person that Jesus encountered, he pushed them past their comfort limit, right? He pushed them to say, my vision is a little bit broader than yours. So you have certain boundaries and I want you to push just a little bit beyond that. So for me, the life of faith is a continual transformation of the heart so that I can be more and more and more in Christ's likeness. And, and that means acknowledging that Jesus loves me way too much to allow me to just yes. remain where I am today. And so I wonder, with you being a, a pastor, what spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices help you to remain humble and grounded <laughs> and focused and not be discouraged or overwhelmed as we think about all of these significant issues. Like how do you prepare yourself to go out into the world and be that light of Christ, that manifestation of the incarnate God? Bishop, it has been quite hard and it was hard for me to watch the news on yesterday uh, I'm reminded of a quote by uh, James Baldwin in The Fire Next Time, to be black and conscious in America is to be in a constant state of rage. Mm -hmm. And uh, I recognize that the, rest, the, the weapons of our warfare are not in the carnal, but they're mighty through God for pulling down these strongholds of, 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 of spiritual wickedness in high places. Mm -hmm. And because I was taught that, I learned to understand and develop that more as a student of Howard University and really focusing on Howard Thurman uh, a celebration of discipline and uh, the inward journey and just really reflecting. However, uh, there's a stirring in the soul for, um, the, for when I see injustice. Mm -hmm. uh, at Lamorne on College in 1964, me and a, num a number of young students protested the, protested the civil, the, uh, the, the, the crime bill. And they looked at us like we were crazy for years to say, okay, we were wrong. You were wrong. Biden, you were wrong many of you congressmen were wrong and so there's a radical zeal and that same radical zeal is a radical zeal that comes out of the gospel mm -hmm. uh, to face <clears throat> tyranny and to face justice it's a radical zeal to say that we will lay down our life to manifest the presence because the goal of the, the goal of the cross is to indeed apply tension it mm -hmm. is not to accommodate it's to not accept a uh, uh, an, ide an ideology of American Christian exceptionalism that we are indeed superior because we're white and we're Christian and we uh, do not have to adhere to a Max Weber type of a, uh, a Christian Protestant work ethic and capitalism that says, okay, you work hard and you get to heaven, but go to church on Sunday. Those things causes me to be righteously indignant, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when I have to deal with my uh, brother and sister who are black and or white to see they're caught into an ideology that has them in a place where, as Jesus says, if you know me and love me, keep my commandments. Mm -hmm. But instead we use it as a, a, a cover used as a cover and another form of way of othering individuals, mm -hmm. denominationally, uh, uh, economically, uh, liturgically. And the gospel is about just relationship building and, and, and attention of, hey, what do we do together? Right. How do we acknowledge the gifts and talents of everybody despite uh, these differences? Uh, so I'm troubled. I'm very troubled. I'm yeah. very, I'm very troubled. And how I do that, how I facilitate yeah. that with a, with congregation as a wounded worshiper is the the pastoral care, uh, theological dilemma, mm -hmm. to organize in the midst of that. But yeah. that's when you, that's where we now hang on the power of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. to rest, rule, and indeed abide. I don't want to sound too preachy, but yeah, yeah. But but for me, that's how I I, yeah. I, I pray on it and reflect on it every day in um, my. Yeah. You know, one of the um, the other things that that comes to mind as I think about the fact that all of us are broken 
and all of us are equal, at least in my opinion, Absolutely. at the foot of the cross. And I think about uh, the time that one person in Scripture was judging another, and Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing, you're worried about the speck in someone else's mm-hmm. eye, and you were unable to see the log in your own eye that's blocking Amen. your vision. And so as, as I strive to be a leader, um, and part of leadership is saying certain behavior is acceptable and certain behavior is unacceptable, like that's just all leaders have to Amen. do that. I'm doing that mindful of the fact that I have my own blind spots, my own things that I'm missing certain perspectives. And I wonder, you know, are there things that you do to sort of help round out your perspective while we while we are acknowledging uh, missteps of others? You know, who is it who is correcting us, right, and helping us to understand our own missteps? So much of my work in the past has been focused primarily on African-American males to really mm-hmm. engage them. And one of the reasons why I took on the role of, as a teacher and as a principal in the Baltimore schools and the great schools that um, showed black boys and men how to be accountable and responsible, not just to themselves, but to their community and to impact their community both economically and uh, politically, but most importantly by having a sense of who they are spiritually and did some great work with that and really just taught parents how to basically do that. So this work is personal, but it's also collective. Mm-hmm. When I say collective, it's congregational. Now I work with our congregations on workshops and teaching uh, how to unpack racism, how to unpack white supremacy, how to unpack black inferiority, to recognize your own biases and your own blind spots. Uh, privately and even institutions how to recognize certain things that continue to perpetuate and endorse a tyrannical demonic uh, system uh, and not be aware of it and so you know we have to put those structures in place and that's again one of the reasons why I decided to come back home and evaluate and look at Lemoyne on college it's one of the reasons why I took the opportunity the lynching sites project Mm -hmm. because it allowed me the opportunity now engage more directly with my white brothers and sisters in in this work and putting those, putting infrastructures as well as curriculums and frameworks together to facilitate these dialogues. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting in the year, it was tough. It was tough for a lot of folk. It was Mm -hmm. tough for uh, a lot of my white liberal friends to say, yeah, I am shameful, or I have this, or, or I have to atone for this. Yeah, I have enabled things with my silence. I have not been courageous. One of my good friends, Dr. Reverend Dr. Fred Martin, uh, he talks about how he uh, he atones and repents daily mm-hmm. uh, for not having the courage uh, in the 60s to speak up as a, as a Methodist uh, pastor. Mm-hmm. And he feels obligated. He called me the other day, Kevin, what you doing? Let's go do something. He feels obligated to be the first on the front line because he was reminded by uh, Dr. King's letter from Birmingham Jail. White clergy in the Episcopal Church and the Methodist Church and the Southern Baptist Church, where are you on this issue? Right. And so today everybody gotta say where they are where are they on these issues? Yeah. Because the gospel is about public confession. Mm-hmm. And there's some consequences for your public confession. Mm-hmm. And as you just indicated uh, what's right and what's wrong, mm-hmm. that we have to be able to speak to those things. And we see too often that our church as the moral authority don't want to speak to what's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. We see it when it came in, we see it when it comes to child abuse and sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. We see it as it comes to, you know, just uh, all kinds of oppression. Uh, we see it. But now all of us are called to task on how we live today in an America mm-hmm. where individuals had, had the audacity to storm the Capitol, the Capitol, and if there were 1,000 black bodies protesting Black Lives Matter, they would have been shot dead and killed. We would be mourning. But instead, it's like someone left the door open mm-hmm. to, the, to the U.S. Capitol yeah. and endorsed their egregious behavior. And But the problem is, Bishop, those folk that we saw, they came from Collierville, Tennessee, and parts of Shelby County, and mm-hmm. the suburbs of Georgia and Mississippi. We, they are in our congregations. They're in our churches. We see them 
They make decisions in our city halls. They make decisions in our police departments. And they like walked in and they took pictures because they operate with such a degree of privilege and power. What's gonna happen to them? But a black woman who was having a crisis and a breakdown and infringed on the Capitol was shot dead some years ago in Washington, D.C. So mm-hmm. it shows you, it's just for young people, and I talk about young people, my black body don't matter. Why engage in the political process? Why engage in capitalism? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tear this down. Mm-hmm. And I say to my white brother and sister, don't be afraid, atone, repent, call your governor, look who you are electing, redefine your party based off the norm that is created, right? And so, and I, I just let, added that, because that speaks to your point. As Socrates said, an unexamined life is not worth living. Right. We always have to be self-reflective and explore. That's the beauty of our litany. That's the beauty of our mm-hmm. calendar. I love how you start off talking about the saints, to be reminded. So Lynch and Sykes, we're gonna remind you who uh, these cold cases still exist. These Some saints, unnamed saints, these unnamed right, saints, that you may yes, not Lord, know. That you yeah, don't know about. Yeah. We're going to lift them up yeah. so that, they, 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 that, that America remains haunted by the fact that you they didn't get due process. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in, in the Episcopal tradition, we certainly, to, to pick up on your point about this public confession, public corporate confession, like we do yes. believe in um, repenting, we confess when we gather, whether it's morning prayer or for the Eucharist, um, and we say the Lord's Prayer together. And it just seems like this this question of the transformation oh, yeah. of the heart is a lifelong journey that all of us are on, that all of us are God's beloved children. And you know, thanks be to God. While God may not be happy with the actions. God still loves each and every one of us and God doesn't have yes, favorites. Lord. That's right. Right? You know, it's it's <laughs> as we're having this conversation for our listeners, sometimes the Holy Spirit yes, chooses to orchestrate things. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say for the record that you and I set up this interview in December, not knowing anything about what's going to happen yesterday. And now here we are, I'm having a conversation with the executive director of the Lynching Sites Project the day after one of the most, in my opinion, uh, traumatic events to ever happen in our nation's history. And so I, I just wonder for those folks who are listening, who may be saying this morning what they couldn't say yesterday you know, yes, I want to try to do something. I want to, in some way, get involved and be a part of the solution right? and not just part of the problem, whether you're black, white, brown, red, it doesn't matter. So are there opportunities via the Lynching Sites Project if folks say, how can I find more information or are there ways that I can work with this organization to begin that process? How could people get involved? Well, thank you for that. Go to the Lynching Sites Project uh, website as well as be prepared to learn about our community meetings. We are putting the infrastructure in place Mm -hmm. uh, to start to address this issue so that we can deal with the trauma that was not the biggest yesterday. The biggest trauma was the killing of of, of innocent people. We have trauma that we haven't dealt with. And Mm -hmm. so Lynching Sites Project all year will be establishing opportunities to be repairs of this broken breach uh, to foster opportunities to really not just be so therapeutic, not to be therapeutic, but to foster some real healing and conversations and to redefine what conciliatory means. It's one thing to talk about reconciliation, but there's another thing to talk about conciliation. Mm -hmm. And so, but the beautiful thing, Bishop, is that our religious, our our Christian tradition has already set up the platform for us to do it. Mm -hmm. We just have to allow the word to become flesh and dwell with us and be so deliberate and intentional about practicing the litany, the liturgy of praising God from whom our blessings flow to loving each other intentionally and deliberately regardless of color, class, and or or party affiliation because we've hung more on those ideas 
that fosters some level of support of superiority, but the lynching sites project and my work continue with the African Methodist Episcopal Church and my work will continue to allow us to do the community organizing Mm-hmm. that's needed. So I'll send more information to you. You can go to our site. You can Great. look at me, Kevin Andre Brooks on Facebook and all those other social programs, but that will be the work of Lynching Sites Project. Our first goal now is to make sure that there are markers uh, markers for every individual who was lynched in Shelby County in the past 100, 200 years, and not only you know about their site, but know their families, know right. their economic and the moral impact that it had not only on their family but in the on the community mm-hmm. and can it, what's the correlation between economic depression in memphis because of killing this uh man or woman who was uh supposed to be a gem that will make this country great but you cut it down right when they wanted to participate so one other thing um as we wrap up i understand that one of the initiatives of the Lynching Sites Project is to help raise funds for a statue mm-hmm. in honor of Ida B. Wells. She was an educator yes. and a journalist who really risked her life by publicizing the horrific nature of lynchings in America in early in the 20th century. Uh, she was actually born as an enslaved person in Holly Springs, Mississippi in 1862. And um, I wonder just briefly, why do you all think it's so important that this woman be acknowledged? Well, so Ida B. Wells, kind of like Jesus, was run out of town for sharing the the good news or the bad news, mm-hmm. that, hey, they lynched a man, and it kicked off a, a major movement. She was one of the first, foremost journalists, mm-hmm. investigative journalists. And so we're leading a campaign with uh, the uh, Neshoba Community Resource Center. We have mm-hmm. a committee, and we are putting in, installing an Ida B. Wells Memorial Plaza on Bill and Bill and Fifth Street by the historic uh, Bill Street Baptist Church where mm-hmm. she first started a printing press. And so our goal is to raise 250000 to erect a statue. We have a meeting tonight. The campaign is going well. Uh, we have some benefactors who are providing support. And it's just another way of lifting up the name of Ida B. Wells and all of the great journalism work that she did to say, hey, these black lives mattered. And this is what you can do to... Uh, support. So you can go to Ida B. Wells statue at Gmail to uh, give the, give a donation to learn more about it. And there are, there are different platforms and formats that you can learn about the Ida B. Wells Memorial by contacting the Lynching Sites Project and going to our website. Thankful for uh, the committee. Reverend Lucimba Gray is a part of um, leading that committee. And we have two wonderful co-chairs. Thank you. Well, this has been a great conversation, and um, I want to thank you for uh, giving us this information and for ways that people can get involved. Uh, And again, welcome back to Memphis. I look forward to further dialogue. And now we're going to actually play a song uh, in keeping with the themes that we have just discussed. And now a little tune written especially for me, Strange Fruit. Southern trees bear strange fruit blood on the leaves and blood at the root black bodies swinging in the southern breeze strange fruit hanging from the poplar tree Pastoral scene of the gallant south, the bulging eyes 
and the twisted mouth scent of magnolia sweet and fresh then the sudden smell of burning flesh here is a fruit for the crows to pluck for the rain together for the wind to suck for the sun to FM Memphis powered by